you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. One of the difficulties that we all have, uh, that we all face as we look at this world, is that we don't know how to respond when times get tough. We don't know how to respond when things around us go chaotic. A man was standing outside the church one day as pastors greeting those that came in, and the pastor grabs his hand as they're exiting after service, shakes his hand and says, brother, you need to be a part of the Lord's army. The man responds, I'm already a part of the Lord's army pastor responds, well, then why do you come only on Easter and Christmas? The man whispers to him, I'm in the secret service. It's humorous, but the truth is a lot of Christians live that kind of life. A lot of Christians come only at certain opportune times. A lot of Christians don't value being a part of the body because they don't think they're that important. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at two things here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in regards to unity and diversity. Number one, the unity in Christ, verses 12 through 14. And number two, the tension of diversity, verses 15 through 26. You see, Paul started the church on his second missionary journey where both Jews and Gentiles had come to saving faith in the the Messiah, Jesus. Paul continues in Corinth for over a year and a half teaching them the truths of God's word and how to live those truths in their lives. What should be an encouragement for every pastor is that even after having discipled them for over a year and a half, that church still had problems. That church still had conflict. That church still had things that need to be dealt with. In fact, some of the problems in the church were divisions, dividing over leaders in the church. There was sexual immorality, not just tolerated, but celebrated in that church. There were marriages that needed help. There was the flaunting of Christian liberty. Well, you have no right to tell me. I can do what I want. You had abusing of the Lord's Supper that happened. People were not reverential to partaking. You also had doctrinal confusion over the resurrection. You had many that were confused as to whether or not the resurrection is a physical body later on. If that is what was spiritual only or physical. As Paul works through these issues in the church, he comes to an important part that is applicable to every church that has ever existed. And that is the unity of the body of Christ. In realizing there are differences in what each one brings to the table, it's important for Paul to stress, just as he began in the book, the unity in Christ. In discussing spiritual gifts, Paul proceeds to get into some of the personal struggles all believers have in the local church. So number one, the unity in Christ, verses 12 through 14, we're going to read this. 
It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. You see, Paul uses the analogy of the human body to illustrate the importance of the function of the local church. Members are many, the body is one. Our starting point and foundation, as he illustrates in this text, is Christ. And any church that strives for unity outside of Christ is starting off the wrong premise. We all have our preferences. We all have things that we prefer the church to be. But if the foundation isn't Jesus, it's not the right foundation. The idea of many in the church being one is stressed throughout the New Testament writings. In fact, in Romans 12, Paul writes this in verses 3 through 5. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see, God has called all believers to be a part of the body of Christ, and that is demonstrated locally with believers that we gather with week in and week out. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul also says this. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. That means you need to be patient with people in the church. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. The unity that we have is found in Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. These are writings to saints that gather together, not just a public post for all to read on Facebook. This is something to, pe- to, to let the church know that when you gather together, this matters. Jesus is our foundation and the one that we unite around. We don't unite around a person that preaches about Jesus. We unite around Jesus. He's the foundation. Any pastor who does not state that Jesus is the foundation should not be preaching for his representation. He ought to not represent Jesus if he doesn't make Jesus the foundation of that, that church. Colossians 1, 13 through 18 says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Believer, you need to believe this. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus has priority in the church. So believer, when you're thinking you have priority, you need to remember that Jesus has priority. And every church that deviates from that is not starting with the right premise. But you don't know, but you don't. Is Jesus the priority or not? If Jesus is the priority, then things are going to be different in the way that we treat each other. If Jesus is the priority, then my needs and wants are going to be different than what I assume. Because we have assumptions of what we think we need that are really just wants. Jesus is the one who is to take priority, which is why when we forget him, the unifying factor is missing in the body of Christ. Many people have divisions among themselves because at the end of the day, they're not in the word themselves, they don't pray consistently, and they wonder why their relationships are shattered. Many members of the body of Christ do not get along because the Bible is not important enough to them to actually make a part of their life. And believer, please understand one thing. If all you do is read the Bible to just say you've read the Bible, that's not what we're asking for here. We're asking you to read the Bible so that you can now apply the Bible. To make Jesus the priority means, Lord, how would you want me to live today? In light of what I just read in this text, let's say the blessed man in Psalm chapter 1 that we read a few weeks ago, how do I live my life? God, how do I make sure that I'm living like that blessed man? Well, one of the things you see in that text clearly is meditating on God's word day and night, right? Those are ways that you see clearly, am I doing that? Am I doing that or not? You see, the truth is, when we lose our first love, things go wrong in the church. Things always go wrong when we lose our first love. Here's what's stunning is we want to love a brother or sister God's way while not being connected to God. That makes no sense. Well, I don't know why they're not responding the right way. I don't know why I'm having these ill thoughts towards them. Maybe because you haven't connected with the Lord himself. The unifier is Jesus. Not your preference and mine. When we make it about us instead of him... We see things very differently. In fact, one of the things that truly touches my heart about the Apostle Paul is he had a lot of things he could have raised as, well, I'm important, don't you know? I'm an apostle. And at times he has to defend his apostleship. But many times he literally just comes right out and says, listen, I long for you to be one with Christ. In fact, in Colossians 1, he tells that church, he says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's Paul's desire for the people that he's writing to. But back in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it says this, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. You see, the important part here that Paul is stressing is the Holy Spirit's role in our unity with Christ. 
The unfortunate thing that's been, that's been done here in this text is implying that some have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit because they haven't received the second baptism or the gift of tongues. That's not at all implied here. All believers have received all of the Holy Spirit. The difference is how many of us are submitting to the Holy Spirit and not quenching the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is not whether you get all of God when you're saved. You get all of God. The question is, does he have all of you? That's the question. He desires all of us. Nowhere does it indicate in this passage that what Paul is referring to is the gift of tongues. In fact, the idea stressed here is that they were all baptized into one body, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. All believers receive the same Holy Spirit as members of the body of Christ. You don't get a different dose, if you will, of the Holy Ghost. You get the same Holy Spirit if you're a child of God. Made to drink implies that something was done on their behalf. Believer, you and I had nothing to do with the Spirit's working in our lives when we came to saving faith. The Holy Spirit worked in our hearts and lives and brought us to Christ. Here's what's amazing, and I don't think we give it enough thought. The very same Holy Spirit that brought us to Jesus is trying to work in our hearts even today and this last week, and many of us quenched that spirit. Many of us said, I know what you're saying, God. I don't really want to do that. Let me go my way. Paul reiterates this point of identity with other believers in the book of Galatians. Another local church, if you will. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul expounds even further in Romans that the identity with Christ means our relationship with sin has now changed. In Romans 6, 1 through 6, he says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Or God forbid, as one translation says. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Believer, this can't be stressed enough. The follower of Jesus that is united with him in his death ought to put to death the very thing Jesus died to save him from, sin. You can't separate the importance of killing sin in your life that Jesus suffered, bled, and died for. This is why if sin is not dealt with, it fractures the church and division erupts. 
The biggest problem in the church is not our preferences. The biggest problem in the church is our own personal sin. A believer has victory over sin not because they have more willpower than the unbeliever, but because they now have the Holy Spirit that dwells within and provides them victory. Too many Christians, disciples of Jesus, fight sin out of a victim or enslaved mentality. I can't help myself. I can't do anything different than I've always done. Oh, brother or sister, you are wrong. You can do something about it. Essentially what you're saying is the Holy Spirit is not enough for me to fight sin. And yes, some sins are very difficult to fight. But are you willing to cut off certain things in your life, as Paul talks about, to make sure that you're fighting that sin properly? I have serious respect for the brother or sister that goes, you know what, I struggle in this area, I'm going to avoid it entirely over here. They're putting up a boundary or a fence, if you will, so they don't cross the line and, and, and dwell into sin. Like, I'm not going to meet with people like this because I might be tempted by that. It's not a standard for everybody. We're not being legalists saying everybody needs to have the same standard. But when you understand that you have a proclivity to a certain sin, you need to stay away from it entirely and possibly be a few steps removed from it. And brother or sister, if you don't struggle with the same sin someone else does, do not look down on them for that. Do not be like, well, that's not my struggle. I can't believe you're struggling with that. Uh, brothers and sisters, we have other sins that we struggle with. Others don't. I mean, one of, the, one of the worst things I think happens to single men and women is that people assume in the church, hey, you know what? If I get married, all my struggles with sexual morality go away. That's not true. That's not true. You're called to faithfulness whether you're single or married. And the struggle is still there. Jesus did die on our behalf and conquered the grave. You and I should strive to live out of victory. Does that mean we always will have it? No, we don't. If you know that God says we win, if we're in Christ, why are we living like we're still losing? I mean, you got a lot of Christians, man, they live like it's doom and gloom in their life every time. God's done nothing for me to conquer sin. No, you've done nothing to actually be in his word consistently and faithfully enough and begging and pleading with him that he would literally work in your life. And I know there's the extremes to that, right? Monks would sit there for hours waiting for God. But we can't even give God 10 minutes. 10 minutes is too much of my time. If you know that God says that we win, why are you living like you're still losing? Or even worse, abusing grace, finding it's not a big deal to live in rebellion. What ends up happening is sometimes we, we sugarcoat the reality that we struggle with sin so much so that we start excusing our sin. Well, you know, I'm going to give up anyways. There's more grace. And that's not what Paul's arguing for. Paul's literally arguing against that says you should not just willingly want to sin more so grace abounds. Pretending you're a winner while giving up fighting sin is not making war against it as you are called to. There's a lot of Christians that pretend to be winners in their Christian life. All they are are good masquerades. We're hypocrites. We lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie to others. We pretend we've got it all together. We believe that we are good because we 
have done something nice that day. We believe that we're good because we fall into the trap, and it's a very dangerous game that many play, thinking sin is to be ignored and not dealt with. A lot of people do this in the Christian life. Well, if I just not think about it, it'll go away. It does not go away. It literally grows another leg somewhere else. Sin doesn't stop attacking. Satan doesn't stop attacking. Your flesh still yearns for what it wants apart from Christ. Actively fighting sin while still losing at times is a sign of life, believer. And I want to encourage you. Some of you are like, I do fight sin. It's a struggle and I'm losing many times. That's a sign of life. Don't give up. It's when you've given up and you don't think it's worth fighting anymore that you need to watch out. Well, I've tried really hard to do this thing that God's called me to, whether it's in my home, whether it's in my job, whatever it is that God's called us to, and it's not working. Keep trying. Keep striving. Be encouraged that we have victory in Christ. You will never reach perfection on this side of eternity. Believer, Jesus knows your weakness and he does care, which is one of the main reasons why the body of Christ matters. The church was established for you and I to not walk alone, but to have brothers and sisters come alongside and say, hey, brother, sister, here's an area I really think you need to address. Or brother, sister, I really was encouraged by what you said the other day. Thank you so much. The body of Christ matters. And if you're part of the body of Christ, you need to understand that this role is important for you to play. But as with everything, there is tension. Why? Because we all as people are different, aren't we? We come from different backgrounds. There are different people that make up that body. Number two, the tension of diversity. Verses 15 through 26. It's a long text, but we're going to break it down. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would, the, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as who pleased? He pleased. That's important here. That's important here. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be, seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members 
rejoice with it. I could just stop right there. Paul's already preached the sermon. Paul gets right at the common misunderstandings and tension that arises in every church and in the role that each member plays in the whole. He does the comparison of a foot, stating it's not vital because it's not the hand, while it still plays an important role. Not everyone is the eye or the ear. Each has their role to play in the whole matter. What is worse is that many think that they're not necessary compared to others. Well, I'm not the one teaching a class, so I'm not that important. And it directly ties into the previous verses where the diversity is laid out, and people miss this part in the text, where it says, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, in the church of Corinth, there were people from very different backgrounds, different cultures, different economic statuses. Some in the church were more well-off, some not so well-off. Those were more free to make choices, while others were more restrained based on their societal status. You see, many sound off in opposite extremes when it comes to the political landscape in America, right? We have one group that says, hey, America is the land of the free, home of the brave. We're all one. We're all Americans. And you juxtapose that to the other side of the equation. Well, we're a diverse group of individuals broken up into race, ethnicity, privilege, and orientation, and we better accommodate to all these differences. Whoa. Those are two different paradigms to work from. The church has always been called to break through all of these divisions that politicians like to put on us and dividing us into specific categories. One of the things I'm honestly the most grateful for in this church, and I'm going to be right up front about this, I don't know if you understand the heartache that a lot of pastors went through during the pandemic. They had church schisms over the vaccine debates. We didn't have that in this church, and I'm very grateful for that. Leaving certain things to a matter of conscience is the best thing we could have done. And yet people fought so much that they would not spend time with people that they loved over that. The truth is, the gospel has united in one all who trust Christ. I may have been born in Ukraine, came over here when I was four years old. I'm an American just as you are. But I have a different background than some of you. Some of you have an Italian heritage. Some of you have a French-Canadian heritage. Some of you have a British heritage. You have different backgrounds that you're from. Jewish heritage. The gospel has united in one all that trust Christ. And it's called all of us to turn from sin to serve Christ. No demographic gets a pass on sin. No background that wants to believe their privilege gets a pass on things that God calls out. All are to serve one another. There may be a difference in a believer's culture, but the standard of God's word is to be applied consistently without partiality. Believer... If you're seeing that we try to treat everyone the same way when it comes to their sin or encouraging them, that's the right way to do it. There should be no preference on that. Meaning we should not give one person a pass and another not. We should be willing to work with all people with the struggles that they're dealing with in their life, whether it be sin or not. 
to be there and come alongside every brother or sister that's in our midst. Are we going to do this consistently and faithfully? No. There are going to be areas where we get it out of line and out of balance, and we got to bring it back. But the standard of God's word is to be applied without partiality. That's what God calls for. The church in Corinth fought over what author they aligned with most. Did you know that? Some said they were of Paul, some were of Peter, and then you had the hyper-spiritual jocks. I'm of Jesus, right? You had the ones that thought they were better than everybody else. I'm on team Jesus. You must be following somebody else. The reality is in that one church, all of them were a body of Christ. They fought over spiritual gifts and which ones matter the most. And these are all things that people of God that are immature do all the time. Neither Paul, Peter, or Jesus were at odds with each other. But that didn't stop people from forming their own clique in the church. Forming a bias towards others because of your own preference is not what God expects in the body of Christ. Listen, brother, sister, you should appreciate some of the differences that we have among us. The backgrounds that are different. There are things that I can learn from you that I absolutely would have never picked up in my culture. But there are other things also in the faith, having walked with God a certain amount, and you may have walked longer, I can learn from you in as well. The good of the body matters, and that's what's at stake. Fighting over which gifts we have and the ones that we wish we had that someone else has is childish and immature. Believer, I, I always, I do, I, I stress this all the time. I know I've mentioned this before. A lot of people are fascinated with Spurgeon. Oh my word, Spurgeon had a walk with God. And the question I always ask myself and I ask you, how much are you willing to put in that kind of time that he did to walk with God if you want that kind of a life? How many men want to live like Spurgeon and invest like he did? Fighting over which gifts we have and the ones we wish we had is flat-out carnal. To not play the role God has created for us in his body. We read that. God's the one that creates the role in the body. The pastor doesn't determine that. The church members don't determine that. God determines that. And you might be like, well, how do I know what that is, right? How do I figure out? Well, here's one way you really figure it out, and that's really across the board in every area of your life. You try. You work on some things. You help in certain areas. And if you don't do well in that area, maybe you're not gifted for that. Like if you're like, hey, God's called me to music ministry and you can't carry a tune, you're not called. Pretty clear. And that's where the body of Christ hopefully graciously tells you, unfortunately, this might not be your thing. I mean, I, I remember to this day, I felt terrible. But it really was eye-opening. We were in... Um, Ministerial class, homiletics, preaching, and we had one gentleman, unfortunately, he just didn't know how to preach. I mean, he tried, and, and the, the professor kind of pulled him aside and said, listen, brother, I know your grandfather was a preacher, your dad's a preacher, I don't know that this is your calling. It seemed harsh, it seemed rude, but I think what was done there is a proper service and saying, hey, there are other ways possibly, brother, that you could be ministering. And at times, that's where we go wrong, right? We assume, you don't think I'm good at this? Oh, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of things I'm not good at, and I'm sure you're more aware of it than I am sometimes. 
But that's one of the reasons why, here's, here's, here's the shocker, I'm glad I have you. I'm glad I have other brothers and sisters that can step in into roles and places in this church that I can't, just can't do that. I'm not as good in that area. You see, if you believe your gift is not utilized enough, speak to someone about it. Don't stew in silent bitterness. There's a lot that goes on like that in the church. Well, I believe I should be doing this in the church. Did you talk to anybody about it? No, I just stewed in bitterness. I just silently was miserable for a while, and now I'm just going to bail because you never use what I have as a gift. Like, members of the body should talk to one another, like actually address these things, bring them up, and yet we're too immature in some of these areas. Maybe there's more of an opportune time for you to use that gift that's been given to you in the body. Let me explain what I mean by that. Some of you have had a gift for years that you didn't get to use until recently. God's given you that gift. You didn't utilize it. And all of a sudden now you're like, wait, maybe I am gifted in this area. I didn't even realize I did. I was. Use it in the opportune time that God gives you. Sometimes it really is an opportune time. A need arises and you step into that role and God says, look, this is where you fit. I say this without any hesitation. The amount of time the men have truly saved me in the media ministry is tremendous. I don't know how many of you know this. When I came to the church, podcast was what I was trying to set up. Website, revamping things. And we have a lot to improve on that. That's my fault too. But there's all these things that we're trying to do, try to start YouTube channel, all this other stuff. And then I went, I can't do it all. And our brothers that just came along said, hey, Pastor, we can help you with that. Let's do this. Okay, great. Save me plenty of time. And you know what? Here's the, here's the kicker. They're better at it than I am. That's how it works in the body of Christ. We lift one another up. We help one another. We strive to take care of the needs. And sometimes what seems to be not an important task, wiping off the table, is very necessary. We don't want germs. We don't want to get sick. The unfortunate thing is sometimes your calling in life has a time period that God wants you to use it, and it might not be right now. When God's opportune time comes, that's when you ought to jump into that ministry. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's very practical. You'll know exactly what I mean by that in a second. Jesus' ministry didn't begin until he was older. It's not like he didn't know his calling in life. It's not like Jesus was not aware of what the Father called him to. But it came at an opportune time in his life. 30 years old, right? That's when it was time. And some of you, you're like impatient. You're like, oh my goodness, no one's using what I'm, I'm able to do. I can add this to it. Give it time. Because here's the thing. If the church grows, if the school grows, there are opportunities that will arise continually. You know, one, of, one of the most encouraging things to me, and I, and I say this all the time, is the very basic things that people think, man, that didn't really matter. What kind of investment was that? turns out to be paying big dividends later on. Like I've had, I've, had, I've had members of this church that were working another job, they stepped into the role of teaching here in the school, and that's like, that's their gift. But it had to ha happen at a certain time. It happened at a certain time. And sometimes we don't have that kind of patience, do we? 
I want it now. Believe me, I understand because I know God's called me to certain things and I had a hard time being patient myself. I mean, if you know anything about me, I'm one of those, let's go now. And it's like, wait a second, you're going to drive us off a cliff. You're not even thinking through this, Roman. Calm down. Steady. <laughs> Slow down. And I've had brothers that have been like, hey, Roman, I know what you're trying to do, but maybe think through the process a little bit more. You're right. You're absolutely right. Carnal believers fight over the stupid stuff in the church and excuse their own sin in the process. They're quick to point out what's lacking in other believers while at the same time not consistently exemplifying that in themselves. Listen, brother, sister, if you're, if you're saying the church is not serving others, be the one that serves. And, and don't do that in like, let me show you, I'm way better. Like, that's not what you should be doing. Serve because you truly value what Jesus calls you to. And you're serving for him. Because at the end of the day, what do we start with? The foundation, the unifier is who? Jesus, right? Hey, guess what? Let's, let's go. Maybe we could do this. We could break this down. The body of Christ. That's the key. Not the body of Pastor Roman. Not the body of any deacon in here. Or the spouse. It's the body of Christ. Those that are carnal excuse their own sin with all sorts of excuses that they believe gets them off the hook. You just don't know what I have to deal with at work. That's why I can't do anything in the church. Reprioritize. There's some things maybe you can move around. Look, I, I think there are so many time wasters in our lives that we're just never willing to actually admit that they are. Goodness, we could watch multiple seasons of a show in a short period of time, but to serve God, like, I don't have time for that. Uh, you're lying. You're lying to yourself and to God, by the way. God knows. You think this is bad? You should have seen so-and-so. They did such a horrible job, I don't even want to try. Maybe you've been gifted. They haven't. Well, you know, sometimes you just can't help yourself. That's an excuse you hear in the church all the time. Well, you know, I can't help it. When God has called you to serve the local body and you, ref you refuse, by the way, believer, you're hurting the whole body. This is how serious this is. You're not just hurting yourself. You're hurting everyone else around you. And if you're like, I'm not that important, all that. Paul addresses both kind of groups in that text. He addresses the one that's throwing the self-pity party going, I'm not worth anything in this church. I can't provide anything. And he says, no, we give you honor because you play a vital role in this church. And then he also addressed the very prideful person that thinks they're all that and that other people aren't necessary. And they are. To reiterate, let's read verses 20 through 26 out of the New Living Translation, which actually does a great job of conveying the, the thought of the text. Starting in verse 20, it says, Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect these parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less 
dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. This is such an important part at the end here that he mentions. And I want to stress this for a moment. You ought to hurt when other brothers and sisters are hurting in the church. But don't forget the flip side. You ought to be honored when they're honored. That brother sister's ministry is flourishing. Look at what the school's done. And here's the kicker. Some people in the church are like, I don't, I'm not involved in that. I don't care. You should. Because it's a calling that God's given people in this church, and God's blessed that. And you're a part of that. When a believer essentially thinks that others are not needed in the local body, they're essentially destroying the body of Christ in their midst. When you don't think you're needed, you're hurting those around you. You ever fallen into this trap personally? People value you, appreciate you, and you're literally thinking, my goodness, I don't think I'm that important. You fall into this little depressing rot, if you will, internally. And people start that spiral, and it keeps going. And they're more and more dark as time goes on. And brothers and sisters are trying to come alongside, encourage them, and say, hey, brother, sister, we love you. We want you to be, do what God's called you to. You're important. You're valuable. No, I'm not. Don't ever think as a church member that you're useless because you can't lead a small group or a study. That's not what brings value. Some of the most valuable and important members in this church are those that don't even, we don't even pay attention to. They play an important role behind the scenes. There are those members in this church that faithfully pray all the time for everybody in this church, and they matter. You know what they don't do? They don't post it on social media telling everybody they're praying for them. They just do it. This is why even those that are not consistent and not using their gifts should be encouraged to stay and find their place. This is why I plead with people to stay as the pastor. Not because of my personal involvement in that person's life, but because of the potential that can be realized if that person understands what God's called them to. It's a very tragic situation when people in the church no longer feel that they are valued. And the unfortunate thing is, is we many times find our value in others, not in Christ. We care more what people think than what Jesus thinks. And I want to share my heart with you for a moment. Over the years, I as a pastor have felt very lonely at times. And I'm an open book. I love people. But in feeling lonely, I can't blame you for my own insecurity. I can't blame you for my own heart that is deceptive at times. Because you know what the heart does sometimes? Oh, they don't love you as much. Pastor Appreciation Month came and nobody said anything. That doesn't mean the church doesn't love me. That's just my carnal heart speaking out. That's just me wanting the attention in my flesh, desiring what I want, not what Christ may want. And I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, it's not your responsibility to bring value to what Christ has already given me value in. We ought to encourage, we ought to build one another up, but the unifier is Jesus. 
It's him that we strive for. And if we want to take our cue from him, then we're going to be lonely at times. Jesus' best friends deserted him. And at times, we're going to desert one another. We're going to leave each other hanging. And we're going to not be that perfect fulfillment of what the body is to be. Look beyond that, please, brothers and sisters. Look beyond that. It should break your heart that someone is not in fellowship and serving in the church as a member of this church. And by the way, if you have a cavalier response, like, well, I don't care. They don't do all that much anyways. You miss the point. We all matter in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, with tears in my eyes, I beg for God to show members of this church that they're more valuable to him and to all of us. If you knew the prayers I have prayed, especially in the last year, the concern I've had, just because you had more energy when you were younger doesn't mean that there still isn't a place for you here, believer. I just want to make that statement today. Some of you are like, well, I'm older. What can I really bring to the table? Oh, brother or sister, you have a lot to bring to the table. You have years of wisdom that some of us only strive to hear. Some of the best conversations I've had is not right after church, but meeting up with an individual and hearing from them about what their life is like in a small group setting or a discipleship group. The men's and women's study have been such an encouragement because we are hearing from others in the ways that God has worked in their lives. If you and I don't care when a brother or sister is suffering, then we don't care that we are not doing our part in that body. When there's pain in our midst, we ought to take care of that. That would be the equivalent of Luke breaking his arm and we're like, I hope it gets better. Let's not take you to a doctor to fix this. That doctor in our church is the Lord Jesus himself. He's the one that we go to. He's the one that fixes what's broken. We just come alongside and redirect to the master. You should come and want to gather and urge those that don't want to be with us to come back. That's your mission. If there are members of this church that have not been attending for a while, it is our mission to call them back. Spurgeon said this, some Christians try to go heaven, to heaven alone in solitude. But believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. But I don't like people. That's some of us sometimes, right? I don't want to be around people. I like being alone. Leave me alone. Um, God's called you to be a part of the body. And your personality type may not be that outgoing, I want to be around everybody type. There's not an exception for that personality, by the way. We all are called to be a part of the body, to gather together. Our gathering together illustrates that we cherish our Savior so much that we want to spend time together in our local body to worship him. 
We want to present ourselves to him in a way that brings him glory. There are many ways that we play a part, and it's more than just titles before our name, a pastor or elder or deacon. We play a role in the body of Christ through the, the following. Giving to the needs of the church. Your giving matters in this church. Teaching, those of you that are gifted to teach. Singing, helping. There are many areas with sound, video, cleaning, visiting others. There are many different ways that we can help. To encourage others is a gift in this church. Comforting the broken, admonishing the wayward, to caution or reprove gently, to warn. You ought to warn people that are out of fellowship. You ought to tell them they're missed. To pray. Those that faithfully pray are playing a role in the body. Believe, are you doing that? To disciple others, to not just be discipled, but to disciple others. Investing in people's lives. Neglecting to serve also plays a part. It hurts the body. Cynicism also plays a part. It hurts the body. Division, conflict also plays a part. It hurts the body. Lack of concern for spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, prayer also plays a part. It hurts the body. Here's the truth. Some of us are prone to always pour out into others and don't reach out when something's wrong in our own lives. Can I encourage you to stop doing that? Like when you need help, openly say that to somebody. Stop trying to be like, I got it all together. I'm a leader. I, got, I have it all figured out. No, you don't. We all have areas that we need help with. Please don't wither in isolation. But reach out to a brother or sister to pray for you and potentially give you some guidance. Believer, some things are hard to work through and it will take time. But it's worth it. It's always worth it. If you're someone that tends to keep to themselves, doesn't want to get involved with others, can I encourage you on a few things? Number one, take time to try to get to know people and their struggles. The more you and I are isolated, the more we only think of self and not others. Very few times are you going to be alone in your room by yourself and thinking of everybody else. That's typically not the way it works. Number two, take the time to show them you care in whatever it is that's communicated. Send them a note. Give them a call. Encourage them. Invite them with you and your family for some event that you're going to. It could be the Thunderbirds, for crying out loud. Invite them out. Make them valuable in the eyes of God and you. Let them know you're praying for them. That's such a huge encouragement. I've had people that literally just come up and go, Pastor, I've just been praying for you. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but God's just really kind of stirred my heart to pray for you more. I'm like, thank you very much, brother or sister. I really appreciate that. In fact, this is an area we need to be more proactive is having a community that truly cares for one another. The complaints go down when the prayers go up. They really do. So in conclusion, do you seek community? Do you seek community in this church? Does it matter to you that you're a part of the body and do you long for unity in Christ? He's the unifying factor. Is Jesus the one you look to or is your performance or others distracting you from the, seeing the bigger picture? In recognizing the diversity of the church and believers coming from different backgrounds, where do you fit in? 
Where is your specific role that you are called to play in the local body? And we're going to be kind of expounding on this a little bit more in the coming weeks. Now, if you don't know, you're like, I don't know where my place really is. What's stopping you from building the body up? Meaning, coming alongside others and say, hey, how can I help you? I know you're doing this task. Can I come alongside and help you more? Is a sin that needs to be dealt with that you're just not willing to deal with? Repent. Bring it to the light. Be restored into the fellowship with God. Be a vessel that he can use. Listen, believer, there are times where you and I struggle with sin and we're like, I can't do anything for God. I'm really not letting go of this sin. You ought to take care of the sin. You ought to bring it to the light. Sin has no power that's brought into the light. It's when we're hiding it in the darkness that we get exposed later on. You know what's easy? When a brother says, goes, hey, listen, here's what I struggle with. Please pray for me. Please keep me accountable. And not, like, nobody's shocked by that. Oh, they struggle with that. Yeah, fellow traveler along this road to heaven. They need help. We're helping them. It's very different than the guy that's struggling secretly, doesn't want any help, doesn't address it with anybody, and then falls into a more grave danger later on. If it's because you're hurting, do you think that that hurt is only affecting you? Because the truth is it affects others. It's affecting the whole body. When we're hurting, we are hurting others, even if we don't think that is the case. As one person said, hurt people hurt people. One of the reasons why if we're hurting and we don't address that hurt, we will essentially take it out on somebody else. By default, that's how we operate as humans. That's our carnal instinct. You did me wrong, well, I'm going to show you. The reason your fellowship isn't sweet with others in the body of Christ is because maybe you've been hurt, so you don't feel like you really belong. Brother or sister, please come talk to me if that's the case. I want you to feel that you are a member of this body and you're valued. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I pray for you. I sincerely desire your growth in Christ. Please reach out to others in the church. Reconcile the hurt that may have been caused. If it's something that needs to be addressed in the home, please come talk to one of the church leaders like, hey, I got something going on. I really need help. Please address it. Don't leave it unaddressed. Because what you don't see years down the road is a very serious danger. We need to love and care for one another, and in the process, there may be confrontation that's necessary. It's not that Paul said, listen, kumbaya, just get along. What he's saying is, listen, you need to be unified around Christ, and sometimes you're going to have things that need to be dealt with. But realize that each one plays a role, and sometimes you're hurting, and you need to get back the strength that you lack now. The sweet taste of reconciliation is worth it in the end, is it not? You ever had that happen? Just had a conflict, and you reconciled in like, a breath of fresh air afterwards. And sometimes it was over like complete misunderstandings, right? Like we didn't even understand the person, that's why. Holding a grudge doesn't just hurt you. It hurts those around you that you can no longer connect with. When people hold a grudge, they don't connect with people anymore. Which is why it's important for us as we close. Seek community. Seek <laughs> community.